Hello and welcome to a special edition of the In the Money Players podcast. This is our show for Thursday, May 19th. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornital, a few hundred miles from the Brooklyn Bunker, south of the Brooklyn Bunker, in Baltimore, Maryland, on the Inner Harbor, from a random hotel room. Very excited to be bringing you our Preakness Final Answer Show, brought to you by our friends at the Maryland Jockey Club. A couple of quick little bits of housekeeping before we get on the show. Want to remind folks that uh, you can watch the Black Eyed Susan Day festivities and the Preakness Day festivities on the NBC family of networks. There's an hour tomorrow. I think it's five to six on USA and then on Saturday, two to four on CNBC and then thereafter on NBC. And also contest players, and we know there are a few of you out there, very good chance on Saturday to qualify for major tournaments like the NHC, the BCBC. The Pegasus Cup, uh, the Pegasus World Cup betting challenge. Play in the Preakness betting challenge. $1,500 buy-in. Lots of seats and cash available. You can play at Santa Anita or you can play on ExpressBet. Go to SantaAnita.com for more details or ExpressBet for more details. With that out of the way, we are ready for our show. And we've convened a panel of folks that if you watch our shows regularly, you've seen these people before. First, I'll bring her in. We've been working her hard all week, but not as much as her uh, main employers have been working her. I saw her. I mean, she's doing everything. She's she's. I saw her with a camera the other day. Apparently, she's getting involved in the catering. I don't know what's going on there, but it's great to have her with us. Of here all tonight. things, you got to go catering. <laughs> Naomi Tucker, how are things? I'm like, I'm not very good at cooking. <laughs> you, could, you mean growing up... Uh, Growing up in the Netherlands, they didn't teach you how to make crab cakes? That wasn't on the agenda? No, I'm afraid. I'm actually quite good at making stews. We, we do that quite well. I'm better at baking. I'm very good at making Dutch homemade apple pie. But yeah, so catering guys, I'm like, yeah, that's not going to be my specialty. But everything else in terms of producing, making sure we get all the right shots. So I got the chance to see all the horses pre-taping the interviews, creating all the rundowns. Uh, it's been a busy week uh, leading up to it. So hopefully... Everything will come to uh, fruition tomorrow as well as Saturday. We've got you here, and we're very grateful for you carving out the time in what's no doubt a busy week. Going to be a little hot for stews this weekend. Temperature looks to be pushing into the 90s both days. We'll get to that in a, and the big race and all that stuff in a minute. But first, we've got to bring in the other member of our panel from Medallion Racing slash TaylorMade. Very happy to have him back on our airwaves. Philip Shelton. Philip, what's going on, my man? I'm uh, just getting ready for a fun weekend. I think I'll, I'll be dabbling in the, the contest on Saturday. So, um, you know, just excited. I think these big days, you know, we followed up with, with Derby. But um, it's just, you know, it's what, as fans and, and people involved in the business, is what you look forward to. We just had a question in the, in, the, in the comments section. Where is JK? He will be joining us. He will be joining us virtually He's a tough man to get a hold of, but we've got his thoughts on these races and we'll be dropping him in as we come. Don't worry. The JK fix will be met. If you've got other questions, go ahead and hit us up. You know, maybe at the end, if we have a minute, we'll have an opportunity to get to some of those. Philip, you were saying you made it to the Preakness last year. You didn't make it back this year, but I know it's an event that's near and dear to your heart. You'll be back our way soon. Yeah, it's, you know, um, my wife and I, bet my son's going to be running in here in a minute. I'm sure my wife and I are expecting a baby like, any day. So I didn't get the, I got the blessing to go to Ascot a few weeks after the baby's born, but I didn't get the blessing to go to the Preakness um, on the, on the potential due date. So we're uh, I'm stuck here, but I'll be, I'll be tuned in watching, which might be better for my gambling. Um, you know, uh, watching the races on the couch might be a little, little better from a gambling perspective than being there at the races. But uh, I went last year and it was just an unbelievable time. It was the first time I'd ever been and I'll definitely be back. We're going to start off our show talking about race number eight. Let's try something different. A production meeting in the middle of the show. If you're out there watching and you have a comment, ask about a race as it comes. So if anybody has a question about this eighth race, the dinner party stakes, a grade two going a mile and a 16th on the turf, feel free to drop it in. And we're going to start off. We're going to get to our pre-recorded guest in a minute. That's JK. But let's start this one off in your court, Naomi. How are we going to light this candle? I mean, you start with quite the race here. All the stakes race in Maryland, all the stakes race in all of the Mid-Atlantic state was previously called, previously called the Dixie State. First run in 1870. And guess who won the inaugural running of this race? Was it a Preakness? horse perhaps called 
Oh, I was going to say it was a horse named the din named Dinner Party. Uh, no, the race was named after a dinner party held in Saratoga Springs in, in 1868, and that's how the race was created. The inaugural running was won by Hall of Famer Preakness, after, of course, whom the Preakness Stakes is named. So it's a little bit of history. I like to look up some of the races here because it's it's very, very cool here at Pimlico. But let's get into the handicapping. I'm sure many more people are much more interested in that aspect of this. I look towards set piece in here for trainer Brad Cox. Uh, in the Makers Mark Mao, he sat wide all the way. He was quite close to the pace. Made this swooping move. Failed to really, truly show his customary clothes, but that was his first race back after a winter break. I think that sets him up for better here. Now, he's probably going to take a fair bit of attention at the wagering window, so you might want to look to some of the other races, other horses as well. I think a tone is very interesting in here for trainer Mike Maker. Of course, Mike Maker definitely looking to try and secure that trainer bonus again that we've talked about. I actually saw him this morning, and I was like, How's it going? Are you are you gonna you know? And he was like, "Oh, we're gonna try." It's one of the it's one of the great things here with the trainers coming in with all their horses. But I liked his home because in his in that race, the same race, he kind of sat tucked in behind the leaders in the Makers Mark Mile. Very gamely closed there, belatedly. That's the kind of turn of foot I like to see on the turf. And to produce that after mile and sixteens is, is exactly what you're looking for in here. So definitely a couple of horses uh, to keep your eye out for. Looking to lock it up three and six. Philip, let's bring you in. Is it going to be the top two in the market in here? Or do you have anything a little bit more clever uh, down the market? Oh, you are stuck on mute, Philip, I believe. There we go. Yeah, sorry. My ice machine was going nuts, so I muted it not to interrupt <laughs> Naomi. Um, you know, I think Set Piece is the best horse in the race. He got a a pretty brutal ride last time. He had absolutely no shot. He moved early, was just incredibly wide the whole way, especially for a horse. You know, maybe he was just keen off the bench. Um, and, you know, any sort of forward move from him in his second start of the year feels like it would land him in the winter circle. I think the thing for me is I just – I don't know what the pace is going to be like. doesn't look like there's very much early speed. Um, and, you know, if I wanted to dabble, like, underneath, I could see myself using a horse like English B – you know, he has got some speed. I wish he showed a little bit more kick. Um, but, you know, if you look at those races, uh, you know, in the Tampa Bay race, you know, Charles Spite obviously came back, won the maker's mark. Flora form was very impressive. Winning an allowance, Mira's mission um, came back and, you know, almost won the, you know, the, tur the turf classic on Derby Day. So to me, you know, the last race was a little bit disappointing, um, but I could see him underneath and that would probably be how I would play it is just try to to, to key somebody for a price because I think ultimately the the top two are going to be pretty logical uh, I think set piece is the best horse but um he's gonna have to get a different trip than he got last time he had no shot so I'm understanding I didn't realize this that our, our man JK had recorded a little intro video I didn't realize he expected me to to introduce him despite <laughs> showing up only virtually but AJ let's go ahead producer AJ let's go ahead and, and uh, roll that JK introductory video now hopefully Pete introduced me and said something nice I know Naomi did but that Pete fella you got to keep an eye out on him that is why I have submitted all of these videos uh, to keep Pete in line uh, I was fearful that if I were able to participate live, Pete would just run amok with this whole thing. And, and, uh, and, and I had to, I had to protect, had to protect the brand. So here I am. Uh, hopefully Pete's wearing one of my shirts. Here's one of my shirts. Can't get it anymore. So I don't know why I'm showing it to you. Um, it's going to be fun, fun little pick six sequence. I have a strong opinion in the Preakness. I will be back throughout this live stream with, some recorded videos that I put together for the races that are involved in the pick six. And like I said, Naomi will do her best, but I'm here to save you from Pete. <laughs> I am wearing one of his shirts. If I'd known he was going to be so stroppy about it, I probably would have left it at home. He went with the BC theme one. I've got the Secretariat one because, of course, you know, record time in the Preakness Secretariat. I thought it was in off the goalpost as a theme. I'm going to actually Did go mine get lost in the mail. I, I'm still waiting. <laughs> he made me pay for this, Naomi. Don't worry. There's what? no, there's no special treatment, but there, there is a no rumor that there's, there's a rumor there's going to be female cut uh, JK shirt suit. I'll, be, okay. I'll believe it when I see it. I'll just give my quick thought on this race, which is, I think Philip hit on for me, what a key point is. And that's the absence of uh, absence of pace. And with that in mind, 
I'm going to, and I may well regret this because he had, is the fastest horse with the best form in the race. I'm going to try to take on set piece in here. The Brad Cox numbers on turf, which are normally excellent, have not been so excellent in the calendar year 2022. Now, look, I'm not a huge stats guy. I usually leave it to figures and form to, to sort things out. But when a horse like set piece might have things a little bit against him from a flow perspective, and then you look at the cat, the, the Cox numbers on turf this year, just 14% win, 36% in the money, and a very low ROI by his lofty standards. Look, probably nothing to it, but it's just enough to make me want to get a little bit more stuck into a runner like a tone who I do believe has um, considerably better early speed. And then Philip also mentioned the idea of getting English B in the mix. The thought there is if they do decide they want to sit with a tone, English B with a very aggressive rider in Saez, I think there's a world in which maybe English B can try to lead them from gate to wire and, and be in an advantageous position and have enough kick to hang on this time around. That's my thought anyway. We'll see if uh, we'll see how it pans out in the dinner party. But now let's throw it back to JK for his thoughts on this one. The first leg of the pick six, race eight, the dinner party. This is one of those races where I feel like there's three horses that can win and that's it. Yes, there's some talented horses like the one Tango, Tango, Tango that I think maybe wants to go a little bit further, but I'm going to focus more on the horses that want to and have succeeded going a mile, mile and a 16. We'll start with the three set piece. Set piece is a horse that, you know, he came back, didn't run up to his standards, but I didn't think that he got a great setup last time. The pace wasn't particularly fast in the maker's mark mile. This horse was a little bit further back. Kind of had to make a move to try to get into contention first off a break. I think we're going to see a much better performance from set piece. Set piece can run well in the clear, but I like the idea of Florent Giroux, who knows him so well, being able to save ground and then be able to kind of produce that run, knowing you're on a talented horse. The four, Beacon Hill, ran well at Keeneland, uh, which came from far out of it. Not the style that I love to lean on, because a lot of bad things can happen when you're coming from off the pace. But this horse is impressive. Got a fast speed figure that day, came nine wide into the stretch. And at some point, geometry still has to count for something, especially on the turf. And then the six, a tone. This is a horse that was a little bit more tactical, was a little bit closer to that pace that wasn't particularly fast in the maker's mark mile. Another one that I think is extremely alive in here from a pace standpoint should be able to be tactical enough and stay close. Ultimately, my final pick will be the four Beacon Hill. I think there's going to be a little bit more value to be had on Beacon Hill. Seems like a little bit more of the up-and-comer rather than the other two that I mentioned. But in multi-race bets, I'd like to make sure I have all three. JK looking to lock that first leg up four, three, and six. Looking for, hopefully, and I think he's probably right, a little bit of a price with number four. We are going to pivot to race number nine, which is the grade three Chick Lang for these three-year-old coats going six furlongs on the dirt. Philip, I'm going to throw the ball back to you to get your thoughts on this one. Yeah, I think this race is like the opposite of the previous race. It looks like everybody wants to go to the lead um, in here. I think ultimately I landed on the nine as my top choice. I think the horse coming out of old homestead, the horse coming out of the race at Keeneland, I discounted that horse in that race. You had a couple of horses I just thought were a big step up and – he just handled them pretty easily. Um, but I just think the way the race is set up, you could have Cogburn, I think, is going to have to be aggressive from the rail. Um, you know, the two horse has some speed. Dr. Jeff has speed. He's got an aggressive rider coming off the layoff. So in my mind, I thought Little Vic from the outside post, He's he's got plenty of speed. He doesn't have to be on the lead. Maybe he can get this trip where he sits second. And if you look at his sprint races, you know, he wins on debut, wins the one other than they stretch him out. Neither one of those races worked. They cut him back to one turn, and he errs. It's a little bit of a, qu a class question. Um, you know, I, I would say in the mile and an eighth allowance, he runs at Gulfstream. You know, Skippy Longstocking is going to be in the Preakness. That horse came back, ran third in the wood. Obviously, Classic Causeway was on fire. But I, I did like, you know, my prankster is a pretty useful uh, Pletcher horse, and he only got beat a half length by that horse. So I think his one-turn races are very solid. Now, Paco is very aggressive, but I'm, I'm just hoping he gets this trip maybe in third or fourth. The speed goes the inside. He can tuck over and save ground. Um, you know, with that said, it's not – I'm not going to take a stand here, but I, I do think he could offer a little bit of value because I could see a couple of horses getting bet pretty hard um, in here, and, I, and that would be the way I want to go. 
I'll interject because I can piggyback off the pace scenario you're describing, Philip. And while I, I definitely respect that idea and I, and I can see the case for including little Vic, I do wonder if Paco and his natural aggressiveness is going to mean he just really makes this thing a party up front on little Vic and it sets up for, for a closer. The closer I'm interested in is one cutting back. Now, I've been a, a very a vocal critic of the form of the Arkansas Derby. But in truth, it's not working out that badly. We saw Secret Oath win the Oaks. We saw Barbara Road run pretty well in the Kentucky Derby. But here's the thing about chasing time and his run in the Arkansas Derby. He was one of the horses that really broke the race apart by prompting that early pace. I think he's crying out for a cutback. This is the type of horse that logically connections got the derby fever they tried the rebel in the arkansas derby but i think it's quite possible this horse is just better going shorter and better as a sprinter and i think he'll be far off reserved the early pace and if they all go hammer and tongs maybe chasing time can come chasing and get the money in the chick lang i'm going to key everything around chasing time for me both in verticals and in uh, and in your your horizontals and, and, and see if we can't get a bit of a price in here in this leg naomi how do you see it I, I'm just listening to you. I'm like, I like it because I had a similar idea about the pace setup that you guys already alluded to. Um, I just landed on a different horse. I landed on Whelan Springs, if I say that correctly. Uh, time from US coded the first three quarters of that bachelor stakes as blue, meaning soft. And hence, he uh, he was able to accelerate like he did late. But if you look back at some of his other races, you see he's come from further behind as well. He can sit further back to a moderate or fast pace and then really keep on rolling. Comes in with three back-to-back -back victories. Gets uh, Irad on board. I do believe that was my... Uh, the early cuts or sometimes the jockeys do little chalky roulette tricks. So actually, let me double check that. He should still be on there. Yeah, I read yeah. still on there. Tends to say, okay, so I, I like that with the pace angle here. Reading Springs coming from off the pace. There's going to be enough pace to roll into it. He He's my user in here. Aside from that, I do look towards Old Homestead as well as Cogburn, but they are speedsters. And the thing is, though, when you're looking at, whenever you project a really fast pace, right, and there's front runners, if there's only two that are as fast, you might want to at least still use the one in here just in case one doesn't break and the other ends up on the lead. I'm just slightly cautious that there might, even, even though we've got an abundance of speed, Perhaps if any of them don't break as quickly and Old Homestead does get the advantage and gets on the lead, I don't want to get caught out with him doing exactly what he likes to do. I could see that. I mean, he does look the potential speed of the speed for sure, Old Homestead does. Here is JK on race number nine. On to race nine, the second leg, the chick laying. I think this race is pretty straightforward. Only a couple horses in here that can win. One that I will be pressing as a pretty aggressive A-type horse in my multi-race bets. That's the five, Old Homestead. I'm a speed figure first horse player and handicapper. It's the one thing that lets me down the least. Old Homestead is fast. He was fast when he was running in, in Louisiana. He was fast when he ran at Keeneland. And I think he'll show himself to be fast again at Pimlico on Saturday. He's a horse that I will lean on. He's fast from a pace figure standpoint early, and he's fast from a final figure standpoint late. Sure, the one Cogburn makes a little bit of sense. I'm gonna try to beat that horse drawn down on the inside. And the other horse I think that I'll probably use as a B, a lone B horse, is a seven, Wayland Springs, who just seems to be improving. Ran a fast figure last time at Oaklawn Park. I like the outside draw for this horse. I don't think he can beat the five old homestead, but I do think he's one of the main contenders. I'll use him as a lone B horse, but I'll be ice cold to the five old homestead. Ice cold on the A line, a little bit of B to mix in there for Jonathan. Let's pivot. Let's move on to the third race we're going to talk about on the show, the James W. Murphy Stakes three-year-olds, $100,000 in the pot, going one mile on the turf. Naomi, we'll throw it back to you. I actually landed on a horse in here that I'm hoping is going to provide a little bit of value. That is the number three uncaptured spirit, 12 to one morning line in here. Soul start today on the grass resulted in quite the show of force against Older horses, open company at Laurel Park. He held off seasoned turf sprinters that day. I remember seeing him. I walked over to the turf from the main track. I think it was our first turf race back at the top of my head. Angel uh, gave Angel Suarez gave him a strong warm up that day, and he caught my eye because he was just looking so so good. So I'm going to continue with Uncaptured Spirit here. I thought that was a really jumped up performance for a horse that hadn't ever gone fast on the turf before. Some horses get a bit. Sea leggy, he didn't. He was ultimate professional. I think there's more to come from him. 
I like your case. Any backups there, or you're going to keep it with your price wars? No, I do use uh, ready to perform for trainer Brad Cox as well. That is the number five. He's going to be a shorter price, five to two, uh, making his three-year-old debut, 197 days break. He was a winner of the Laura Futurity Stakes, and they hence tried to go to the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf. That was the first thing they said after that race during the stakes interview. He couldn't get in. He, he ended up going to the Qatar Golden Mile at Del Mar was outpaced that day. It was just too tough for him. This seems like a much easier spot to get his career going again. So I definitely use him underneath. And then I also look outwards to Joe because Joe was Federico Tessio stakes winner. And uh, he's actually lining up on the turf today. He's been on the turf before. They always wanted to get him back. He's by a turf siren declaration of war, half sibling to irony of reality, who placed in graded stakes going long on the grass as an older mare. So I spoke with Michael Trombetta earlier today. And he said, look, we always wanted to try because if he does well, on the turf here, it just opens up so many doors for us. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that Joe showed up in this box. I think he wouldn't look too bad in the uh, three-year-old race we're going to talk about in a in a minute or two. I did leave. I'll piggyback because I have very similar thoughts. So I wasn't. As I have a note on that. Why he's not in that other race? Race eleven. Guess, yeah. guess what? Guess what? I asked Michael Trombetta. Oh, wouldn't he be better going to Sir Barton? And Mike Mike looks at me and goes, "Have you read the conditions? He's not Meaning eligible." What? He's not oh. non-winners of, of an open sweepstakes. He can't go there. So I'm like, okay, you know what? It's been a long day. Clearly handicapping at 11 p.m. doesn't always work wonders. So I'm going to apologize to everyone for I overlooking would, that one. But yeah, it was my too. thought too, what you yeah. said. It was my exact same thought. Yeah, That makes all the sense there. in the world. And then you throw in yeah. the turf breeding. That does make me like the horse a little bit more. I put the five on top ready to perform. I cited the, the negative uh, Cox turf stat before, but this is a horse who I think just makes all the sense in the world with that, the the figure improvement for age angle that we talk about a lot and also adding Lasix. I thought Rich House was worthy of inclusion as a runner with speed, could get a nice stalk and pounce trip, has some solid numbers at Gulfstream, but the Belmont turf race isn't too bad either, third race off the layoff, and then Joe was the third one. So yeah, I don't really have an opinion in this race, not a place I'll be making a stand, but I will be looking to survive with the five, seven, and 10. And based on Naomi's say-so, may try to throw the three in for a penny as well. Philip, how do you have this one? Are you stuck on mute? Sorry, yeah. I, I would agree. I don't have a... impression. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, I'm not going to give you a hard time. I'll just say that. <laughs> um, you know, I don't have a really strong opinion in here. I, the Riot House, the seven, would be my top opinion. I just think you know, the race at Gulfstream, maybe the form is going to be a little bit better. It's got good tactical speed. The the mare actually was a really good uh, turf horse. I think Mott had her, um, but she's got good enough early speed. I was like mildly intrigued with the eight, shake them loose. I don't, you know, the the one turf start on the page is just so bad, but the horse basically was dead last, got pinched at the start. Was a, I'm just willing to maybe draw a line through that because I think I'm going to get a big number. Um, and you know, he was right there with Joe and a couple of these other things. And I, I could see a scenario where, you know, the seven has speed. You've got a couple of these horses that are stretching out to two turns, um, including the three that have a lot of speed. I could see a scenario where if the pace gets hot and this horse handles the grass, he at least has some ability. Um, and I think that's a little bit of a question mark for some of the other ones. Also that, that style could suit ready to perform. Um, I just, you know, that's not a horse I want to take five to two on or less. Uh, would just be my only thing. Like he can absolutely win, and I'm not going to get beat, you know, to pick five sequence because I don't have him on my ticket. But just from a single race or uh, or verticals, you know, he'd be a horse I'd be trying to fade a little bit. Makes sense to me, but mostly for your horizontal play, sounds like you'll be focusing on seven and eight. Yeah, I'll be focused on seven eight, and like I said, uh, you know, those would probably be my two A's. But I'll be, you know, it's again, it's not a race I'm going to make a stand in. I've got stronger opinions in, in other spots. All right, let's bring J.K. in for his thoughts on the James W. Murphy stakes. On to race 10, the James W. Murphy, the third leg of this pick six. And this is feeling like a pick six I'm going to try to have for like $10. Lots of horses I want to lean on in here. In this race, another one I want to lean on pretty heavily as an A-type. That's the five, ready to perform uh, for Brad Cox. It's a horse that ran well on debut ran well uh, at Laurel in the past, and then showed up and didn't run as well on the Breeders' Cup undercard, but the speed figures that this horse was running as a two-year-old 
fit in this race with what horses have been doing as three-year-olds. So you have to expect when you're looking at a horse who made his last start at two, making the next start at three, especially this far into the year in May, you're going to get a 10 to 15 point bump just on maturity and figures. If this horse runs 10 to 15 points faster than they did when they were a two-year-old, this horse is going to win by open lengths. And I think that's going to probably be the case. Brad Cox usually has his horses ready to run first time out, ready to perform ran well first time out when breaking the maiden. So there's no reason to think that they won't be ready to run here again. I'm going to lean heavily on this horse as well in this spot. I'll also use the seven riot house. Really seems to be improving since switching to the Danny Gargan barn and also has that tactical get to the front and see if, uh, if maybe a horse like ready to form. Uh, happens to get into some trouble. So uh, I like tactical horses. And like I said, the seven riot house seems to be improving. And uh, and I'll also take a look towards the outside to the 10. Joe, it's a horse that ran on the turf uh, back in the day, hasn't been on the turf since, but has seemed to kind of pick it up, turn into a nice horse, um, running faster speed figures. And if Trombetta thought at one point the turf might have been the answer for this horse, maybe the turf is the answer for this horse. He just wasn't ready when they debuted that day, and that's why the figure was so low and the performance was fifth place. So let's see if this horse getting back on the turf could pick up some pieces in here. I'll use this one to B as well, but most of my money is going to go through the five ready to perform. All right, we already started to talk about this race a little bit. The race number 11, Sir Barton Stakes, a mile and a 16th. I'll read the whole conditions here. Uh, Three-year-olds, non-winners of an open sweepstake. <laughs> which I completely missed the first time through. Anyway, no big deal. We've got a field of 10 going postward in this mile and a 16th dirt race. And Philip, we're going to start with you this time. Once we get you off mute. I'll, I'll learn eventually. Um, you know, I think it's this race. I think traditionally looking at it, um, I want to get somebody that's kind of rising up. I think some of these horses that try the, the Derby trail, like a, like an ethereal road, you know, he's run well enough in a bunch of his races. Um, but I just think this is the kind of horse that gets hammered in a spot like this. And I'd rather just pick somebody that's else. Like I could, uh, this would be another race. Like I'm going to get really skinny here in a minute. Um, you know, I'm pretty interested in a horse, like even the Addison poor who's 15 to one, a little bit slower on figures, but one last time, um, just seems like maybe he's kind of coming into to his own. You know, only got beat ahead in the start before, um, but it's going to be a, a big price. And and also, Mister Jefferson. Um, you know, if you like Joe and shake him loose from the race before, um, he ran huge. He's six to one. I think he could maybe float up from that. Um, that's really the horse I want to be. He's going to be an A, and he's going to be heavily weighted in a lot of my tickets. But this is a race I'm going to go fishing for a little bit of a price, and you know, try to fade some of the, some of the, the logical horses. I think just in general, you get some of these early maturing three-year-olds that run really well early and they just don't improve very much. I'd rather get somebody that feels like they're getting better, take a little bit of a swing, maybe on a horse that's a little slower from a buyer perspective. We could have a bigger forward move, um, which was kind of the thought with, with um, the four. I'll jump right in because, uh, I really like Mr. Jefferson, who you mentioned, for Mike Trombetta. This horse closed well, despite the uh, not really having a great setup last time. Now, sort of second off the layoff, off that huge effort, little bit of a trip. And I think that this race should be run to suit, should get a setup in here. I was going to put Mr. Jefferson on top. I agree with what Phillips said, that Ethereal Road at 3-1 to one of the morning line, I'd absolutely love him. I think he's going to get bet well below that. I still want him in the mix. I was going to call it 6-1. If I'm remembering correctly, Naomi, from earlier in the week, are you Team Ethereal Road? Is that a good description? Now we got you on mute. Everybody yeah, Naomi, Naomi didn't learn from me. <laughs> I, I'm sitting here really, like, politely pressing my mute button every time. But, yeah, okay, okay. So, so now it was my uh, – look, Ethereal Road, yes, I'm a, I'm a big fan. I've been seeing him train all week here. He scratched the course out of the Derby. We all know that story. But even just looking at him as an individual, huge, bulky, tank-looking horse. He is built to, I think, go a mile. You don't want him to be going a mile 316 like a Preakness or further. I, I think 
he's built to go this exact distance, mile and 16. This is a much easier field than what he's lined up against in the Lexingtonian, in the Bluegrass, the Rebel. He's been up against tough horses. None of these are in here. I really think that he's the class of the class in this field, and he's going to be tough to beat. Now, I am all aboard with Mr. Jefferson, though. He is my second choice in here for trainer Michael Trombetta. He was campaigned like a talented individual. If you look at what they tried with him, the Rems and the Jerome, the Withers, you know, trying to see what they had with him. Returned to form with a sizzling close in the Federico Tessio. And nearly bested Joe in there, as you mentioned. Normally, that's, of course, a key prep race for the Preakness. They opt to go here with Mr. Jefferson. That was a career best try. I expect him to really start rolling along here. You mentioned the Addison poor. Not 100% Brittany Russell was as keen on running him in there. I think he's really interesting, but not sure. A little bit on the fence when it comes. But the price, though, if, you, if you're on the fence and a horse is that price, I say find some way to get the horse on the ticket. Is that, is that what you're thinking there, Phil? No, it was more that she's not, not sure he's lining up. Oh, okay. oh. Well, <laughs> So yeah. you may not turn I mean, up. Could, like, I, I, I just, that was what I, what I kind of understood. We're not 100% sure yet. So we'll, we'll see, yeah. right? We'll see, uh, we'll see on Saturday when it comes it's, to this. It's that. just interesting because this is like the most anti-D, you know, this is an anti-D-Wayne move. Normally, like, he's in every big spot. So I'm like, this is like a negative tipping of his hand to me. The fact, like, this horse didn't run in the Derby, which was surprising. And I don't know if he had any issue or anything. There was an, wasn't there an issue? Yeah, he had like a temp, Yeah, he had like something. But then well, I would have just thought, well, they'll just come back in the Preakness because that's kind of what D Wayne does. Um, it's like there's two routes, one of which is the conservative, one of which is like right down the middle, and then one that is like uber aggressive way far to the right, and they take that path every single time. Well, he's got so the filly in there. He doesn't need Yeah, maybe he thinks in the he's going to race yeah, one. Maybe. He doesn't yeah. need that, Ethereal Yeah, that was, that was my thought with Zandon, too, in the, der in the Derby that Chad wanted, just said, hey, I'm I'm going to try to win with Zandon, not early voting. Um, yeah. It's just weird to me that, like, you know, normally it feels like he's in the big spots. But, yeah, that, that was my thought was just trying to get somebody at a price that feels like they're on some sort of upward trajectory, which that horse felt like. But, obviously, if he's going to – maybe bounce out last time that happened jk told me um that lady rocket scratched and i was prepared to say obligatory was my strongest play of the entire derby card and then he hit me with the scratch and then i ended up betting her incredibly heavily but i kind of wavered in the moment um <laughs> because it's like i don't know if she's gonna get the same pace because right. lady rocket scratched um luckily my gambling um didn't change but you said nice enough things. It's not like you you, yeah. you help steer people in that direction. And it is hard when you learn about these uh, potential scratches or scratches on the fly. We had a Mr. Jefferson question. Uh, Mr. Jefferson is the six horse in race number 11. If you have a race card, um, you should be able to, uh, to, to see Mr. Jefferson right there in that spot. We have one more opinion we need to bring in here on uh, the Sir Barton Stakes. It's from our man, Jonathan Kinchin. Let's throw to that right now. On to race 11, the Sir Barton, the fourth leg of this pick six. And like I said, this is a pretty uh, straightforward sequence for me. I don't have a lot of clever opinions. I have a lot of strong opinions about horses that are going to be short prices. And I'm going to try to hit this pick six for multiples. And then I will have that A and B structure in case some of those favorites let me down. I think I have the right B horses, the backup types that can pick up those pieces and keep my tickets Alive. The five B Doc ran extremely well at Keeneland. I trust Doug O'Neill. I think he's a great trainer. He's a two-time Kentucky Derby winning trainer. And the other thing I like about Doug O'Neill is when his horses are stretching out, I always feel comfortable. I heard when I'll have another and Nyquist were running in the Derby Trail and Triple Crown Trail, I always heard about how Doug O'Neill's horses gallop, gallop. Gallop, and usually when you have a horse that will that will gallop all day, they don't have an issue adding distance. They've got that foundation, and they understand how to kind of shut it off a little bit. And that's why I think Doug O'Neill's horses do so well when stretching out. The five B Doc will be an A press for me. I'll also use the eight Uniki. This is a horse that has some fast numbers, and when they have fast speed figures, like I mentioned earlier, I lean on those. I like the outside draw. You get Irad uh, in this spot, and you get that outside draw, which I think helps outside of the main competition. And the only B horse I'll use is the six, Mr. Jefferson. So horse was wide last time at Laurel. Sometimes that's what you want, but I do think this horse could take another step forward off of that performance. Seems to kind of be figuring it out for Michael Trombetta. And I think it's the type of horse you'd want to use 
for a B type, an upset type. I don't think that he can compete with the top two, but it's horse racing and sometimes uh, the best horse doesn't always win. Ask uh, the Kentucky Derby winner. <laughs> I knew he was going to get that in there. Any chance, any chance to take a shot at Rich Strike and J.K. Will. We'll be talking more about that topic as we get closer to the Belmont, no doubt about it. The penultimate race on the card, the penultimate race we'll be talking about on the show, is race number 12, the Jim McKay Turf Sprint Stakes. We're going a flat five on this turf for three and up with $100,000 in the pot. Naomi, who's your idea of the winner? I ended up landing on the number two Karatari for trainer Brian Lynch. He comes in here after a break, something that he's enjoyed very much in the past, jumped up with strong performances over the distance, gets the same jockey on board who won on him last time, meaning I think we're ready to fire. I think we're in business here. He has that low draw. I think he's going to move forward. I find seven cents also interesting. He arrived in a Cox barn by the claim two starts ago, made his first outing for the stable a win. He's three from five and two seconds over the distance making this really kind of his spot and he comes in here super sharp for the leading champion trainer so you kind of don't want to get caught out not using seven cents i have some interest as well in grateful bread of course a locally campaigned horse here for trainer madison myers unbeaten on the pimlico turf and one half of his tries at this distance he does have that kind of perfect package speed but can also pass horses and has been kind of carefully and and and, and patiently managed by the stable being a six-year-old and only having run 12 times all right we had a question i'm going to answer about going back to race number 11 who might not run that was number four the addison poor we will wait and see yeah wait and see kind of yeah yeah. there was a just double check on that one you know don't don't, uh come up with a plan a and a plan b and a plan c all the way down to z that usually works well (laughs) <laughs> I'll just chime in that I like Karatari the best. I love um, Saez as a great fit for this runner, um, as we saw the last day in Gulfstream. And I just think he looks like the potential speed of the speed. And as a horse, I'm very happy to get uh, to get pretty stuck into in this spot. I will, for all the reasons Naomi cited, potentially uh, use seven cents as a backup in this spot. But again, I'm a little, especially if the Cox turf runners, you know, if he's showing that that stat is just a bunch of noise, I, I will use the three as a more confident B in this spot. But yeah, two, three for me, Philip, how do you see it? Yeah, I think uh, I'm just playing the two. Like I think the fact this race is five furlongs as opposed to like five and a half, um, He's drawn on the inside. He's going to go straight to the lead. I'm not sure if anybody's fast enough to stay with him. And he just – sometimes this race can come up like a pretty strong version. This feels like a weaker version of the race. You don't have a bunch of horses that are one a graded stake or a bunch of stakes winners except him, and he feels like he just kind of stands out from a class perspective. So I'm going to be – you know, 90% of my money is going to be running through him. Makes sense to me, and that's pretty much how I see it as well. Let's see what J.K. has to say. I have a feeling, knowing his handicapping style yeah. as I do, I feel like he'll be team uh, Karateri. You could add, you could add up his six horses, and they don't, they don't equal ten to one so far. So. <laughs> <laughs> Let's throw it to J.K. and see what he has to say. On to race twelve, the Jimmy K. Turf Sprint. Sometimes I can have some strong opinions in turf sprints because I love speed. And I think speed is very dangerous in turf sprints. And I think that you can sometimes lean on the fastest horse early if that horse happens to be the fastest horse late. And more often than not, that happens to be the case. This one, not so much. There's a lot of horses that have fast numbers. I do think you can tie it up with a handful of horses. And based on the other opinions in the races with a lot of singles and a lot of single presses, I can get away with using a little bit more here. So we'll just kind of go in chronological order. I'm going to use the two... Uh, Karatari, so a horse that just has fast numbers for Brian Lynch. And you should get a nice trip to the inside, but you get Louis Saez, and this horse is tactical enough to pop away from there and reach for the lead if they decide that's what they want. The four seven cents seems like a much better horse since switching to Brad Cox. Got a figure improved last time. I would expect that to continue to be the case for the three seven cents. The five, Mr. Hustle, another horse that seems to have improved since switching to Mike Maker. I'm looking for another step forward from this horse with the Mike Maker Barn, Paradise Farms, slowly becoming a sneaky powerhouse when it comes to these claiming horses. They really do do a great job on picking horses, getting them to Mike Maker, and the team seems to have a lot of success. The Nine Hollis, this is a horse that's just in form. 
Now that is dirt form, but they have tried this horse on the turf five times, only one once, but something about that makes me feel as if they still feel that maybe Hollis can perform well on the turf. I like to draw for him. And like I mentioned, Hollis is in great form from a speed figure standpoint, ran some really big races down at Oaklawn Park. So I'm going to try to get coverage in this race. Nothing too clever. I'm going to spread in here because like I said earlier, I have some pretty sharp opinions on other races later. All right. Now it's time for the big one. Um, and we're running a little longer than I thought. If you've got questions, get them in now. We'll try to get to them, but uh, hopefully we can wrap this thing in about 15 minutes time. I know JK has a lot to say about the Preakness, so we haven't let him go first all night. So let's kick off our discussion of this year's Preakness with a word from uh, the man you know from uh, Fox Sports and the podcast and everything else that he does, Jonathan Kitchen. Here are his thoughts on the Preakness. On to race 13, the Preakness Stakes. I'm going to run through every horse in here really quick, some of them very quick, and then let you know who I think can't lose. Uh, the, the this year's Preakness, and uh, you probably know who it is. The one simplification, I think this horse is talented. You want to respect the horse underneath, but you have to understand this horse got a huge setup last time. The pace in the Derby wasn't just fast. From a pace figure standpoint, it was very fast. And I think when horses are picking up pieces late in meltdown races, you have to be careful playing them moving forward. Don't fall for simplifications run. Yes, he can run second or third in this race if the pace happens to be quick again or none of the other horses show up. But I don't think that he could beat uh, the top two or maybe even top three in this race. The, tree, uh, the th two, excuse me, creative minister. I wouldn't talk anyone off of this horse if they tried to tell me they liked. Horse ran fast last time at Churchill. How's the distance going to, how are they going to handle the added distance? That was at a mile and 16. This is still a lightly raced horse. Let's not remember how people were talking about Taiba in the Derby being lightly raced, trying a mile and a quarter for the first time. Creative Minister is pretty lightly raced too, trying a mile and three sixteenths for the first time. No easy task, but this the horse does have some talent, and I think you could make worse choices for horses trying to beat the favorite. Finwick, um, no shot. Secret Oath, she's talented. She's an Oaks winner, and we will always respect our Oaks winners. She did it fair and square. I just don't think she's fast enough for the price that she's going to be. Can she win? Sure. Is she better than Swiss Skydiver? I don't think so. Is she better than Rachel Alexandra? I'm not even going to answer that question. I just think that she's talented. She runs fast, but not fast enough for the horses she's going to face on Saturday at the price that she's going to be. The five early voting, he's the most likely winner other than the favorite, I would imagine. You know, he ran well last time. The pace wasn't particularly quick. They had a plan for this race. Feels a little bit like cloud computing, but I wouldn't get over the overboard with comparison other than the trainer and the owner. Early voting can win, uh, especially if the favorite doesn't show up. He's got the style that wins this race. And like I, meant, like I said, this was the spot that they chose. Seems to be a smart spot considering how fast the pace was in the Derby. Early voting can win, but I do worry he's going to be a little bit shorter of a price than I think he probably should be. The six, Happy Jack, no interest. The seven, Armanac, did jump up last time and run a fast figure. Does he want the extra ground? This is another horse I think you could probably, you're going to get a better price on a horse like this than you are on like the five early voting. And I think Armanac is right there with early voting as, as having a chance here. So take the one with the better price, the eight, Epicenter. Uh, I'll, I'll skip ahead to the nine, Skippy Longstocking. I don't think this horse can really win. Maybe interesting underneath, but not a win candidate to me. And the eight epicenter. This horse was the first one that was the closest to the fast pace, moved into the fast pace, was having the best week leading up to it, had the worst draw considering the main contenders of the Kentucky Derby. Everything points to epicenter for me. Most of the time when races are fast in the paces, excuse me, are fast in the Derby, they go slow in the Preakness. Look at Oxbow. Um, look at Shackelford. When the paces are fast, it kind of op it go, it go opposite in most times in the Preakness. And I think Epicenter is going to get a nice, comfortable position moving forward. I don't think they're going to crawl. There's enough speed in here. But they're not going to go as fast as they did last time. And we're going to see a great performance from Epicenter. Sunday morning, we'll wake up saying, what if we might be looking at a Triple Crown bid in the Belmont, but Rich Strike had other plans. I love Epicenter in here. I'll be ice cold singled. No other horses, no backups. I want my value to be on the opinion that Epicenter is going to win this Preakness Stakes. I hope Pete didn't say anything mean about me. Naomi, 
Thank you for saying nice things, I hope. And uh, wish you guys and gals the best of luck. And we'll see you for the Belmont. There you go, JK. There you have it. His his monologue. I like that, though. He, he got into a lot of things that uh, I agree with. So I'll just very quickly piggyback that I really, really like Epicenter in the spot. Very curious to see how they're going to bet. Um, for picks, I like JK's approach of running most of it through him. This is a horse that I think in a big race like the Preakness with so much, so many people playing, I think this is a horse that on a Thursday at Belmont would be three to five. But because it's the Preakness, you might actually get even money. There might be value in the win hole on Epicenter. Just an idea I'm going to throw out there. And of the, the runners he mentioned, the other one I want to just underline a little bit, Skippy Longstocking, I think is a little bit of an interesting long shot to use with early voting and Epicenter. If it turns out that the form of the Wood Memorial really ends up being very strong, Skippy Longstocking is just kind of a weird horse in that when you see how many starts he has – you might be tempted to say he's exposed. We know how good he is. But when you watch just the last two runs, this looks like a horse to me who's figured things out, had kind of a rough go of things in the woods, steadying into the first turn, coming wide, and actually galloped out past the winner. So I think he's a little bit interesting at a big, big price. But I think JK is probably right. Mostly like 95% underneath. I'll probably have one ticket with him on top. Philip, let's throw it to you. Who's going to win the Preakness? Yeah, so when I looked at it, and this is – just way I handicap, I think about how is this race going to play out, right? And what scenario can I get a horse to maybe step up and run well? I just can't get around Epicenter. Like, I think he's got enough speed that if if it's early voting loose on the lead, it's not he's not going to have to do a Mo Donegal. He's not going to have to come from way off of him. He's going to be sitting, you know, a length or two off. Um, and if nobody wants to lead, he might be on the lead. I just think he's got all of the tactical advantages. He's drawn to the outside. Um, the other opinion I would have in here is I'm pretty high on creative minister. Um, the only thing I don't like is just the turnaround. Like if this horse had won that allowance at Keeneland and ran a 92, I'd be just betting a massive epicenter over creative minister exact, which I still might do anyways. Um, that's the only question to me. Like what I liked is his first start at Gulfstream he was way out of it and he was, he was two and a half to one and he was the favorite in a pretty good race with some Pletchers and some other stuff, which to me for Kenny to get bet like that, the, they knew the horse had a lot of ability. He was, you know, eight to five at Keeneland obliged, showed a little bit more tactile speed stretching out to two turns. And then he was like miles the best in that race at, at Churchill. He got a great trip. He sat down on the inside kind of moved his way up, but I don't think the stretch out is going to be any problem. To me, they're just asking a lot of him in a very short period of time. I think the talent is there. I think a forward move is is very likely. Um, and I think this I think this is a graded stake horse all summer long. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if he wins a big race at some point this year. Um, so that would just be my opinion underneath. Like, I, I would be like J.K. I'll probably end up single-single. Um, and if I, you know, get to a point where – um, you know, I'm alive to a bunch of stuff. I hit a couple prices. I might spread in like a double or a pick three, but everything is going to be to epicenter. I could see a scenario where in the turf sprint, you know, I play like some backup doubles into epicenter with some longer price horses if I'm single to territory and pick fives and stuff. But um, I think he's the most likely winner. Although I would say statistically, you know, the second place horse in the Derby historically has a pretty bad record in the Preakness, even as the favorite. Um, so that didn't make me feel great but i try not to worry about trends that don't happen very frequently um and he just looks like the best horse all right jk epicenter me epicenter philip epicenter naomi can we make it a chorus no <laughs> i'm trying look he's my second he's the horse to beat and he's going to be a price in comparison i know that jk already said look it's possible that she there you go i gave my hand away uh, can win and uh, I agree with him. I think she can. Secret oath uh, in here for trainer D. Wayne Lucas. Look, that run in the Kentucky Oaks, we know how strong that Kentucky Oaks was. Multiple unbeaten Phillies, champion two-year-old Philly lineup. And Secret Oath made it look easy. I mean, genius ride by Louis Size on the rails, out, moving along, no kind of stopping, just rolling. But she was so comfortable doing it. She was so much the best. That was a career best effort. I don't think that would have taken as much out of her as, let's say, a Kentucky Derby run. 
would with some, you know, like epicenter coming in here at the top of his game, having run so hard, really giving it his all. Secret Oath did it comfortably. And when I saw her on the track over the last couple of days, she compares to the Colts in here. She is just as strong, just as big. And I think just as talented. We were talking about how strong the female division is. I think she's going to show us really how strong it is. I'm hoping she will. I want her to be that seventh filly to... Uh, to win the Preakness, to join that illustrious list that, of course, includes the mighty Rachel Alexander, a Swiss skydiver, best of the Kentucky Derby victor, and Dwayne Lucas to become that trainer to join the record of trainers that have won seven Preaknesses. And, of course, Secret Oath is a filly that also gave him a record-tying fifth Oaks win. So just so many stories. I, I want to see some girl power here in the Preakness. And I remember with Swiss skydiver, everyone was saying, oh, no, she can't do this. This is too tough for no chance. Well... I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna sit on that again. So I, I'm signing. I'm signing with the lady in here. Epicenter, of course, strong second, and he isn't training like a horse that is regressing. What everyone, you know, might think. You know, is he stepping back from those triple-digit buyers? Is he, you know, starting to show the effects of perhaps his campaign? No, no, not really. He's looking sensational. Like, that's all I can say. He schooled today in the paddock and looked. Cool, cool comic collective was schooling in a maiden claiming field of like 11 horses or more there was a lot going on i can tell you that a lot of you know horses just uh, doing a lot and uh he's there just chilling looking at everything ticket there's just not a hair out of place on that horse uh, he's gonna be very tough to beat i'm trying to with secret oath because i want her to but as a you know wagering wise you gotta use epicenter you're not you're not gonna try and best him outright I think Secret Oath could provide some value. So perhaps I'm going to do some kind of box exact in the hopes that she makes it happen. Um, so that sounds like a bit of a soft opinion. I think she's good enough. But oh, it's interesting. I mean, you, make, amazing. you make a compelling case from a foreign point of view, especially. It was a derby that we didn't really know how strong of a derby field it was. It was an Oaks field that was universally regarded as one of the best in many years. And like you said, she didn't just win. She won easily. I'd feel more sanguine about her chances if the, Final time had come up a little bit stronger, but hey, that's you know we, we see horses, especially three-year-olds, step up and outrun the, the paper. I mean, I think if Epicenter doesn't show, she makes sense. I just wonder. I don't know how they're going to bet, and I wonder. She seems like a candidate to maybe because of the great storyline, be um, bet down below that nine to two morning line. But as we saw with, with Skydiver, who I think was seven to two at the morning line. Everybody tried to be a wise guy and tried to beat her. She ends up going off 11 to 1. So you make a lot of good points. Now, Naomi, the last time you were on these airwaves, you only had a handful of runners come through. You have a lot more. You've, you've clapped eyes on most of the runners in this field. Any other observations, positive or negative, about horses you've seen training this week at Pimlico? Um, the positive one is clear. Epicenter. Like I said, looks like a rock star. Really just that. The physical embodiment of a perfect thoroughbred. That's how it looks like to me. Just love watching him describe him to everyone saying you know that really eye-catching horse yeah that's that's the favorite for the greatness so him um i, I kind of like early in voting i think he's been looking strong he's going out a little bit later in the mornings um seems comfortable going over the track here i guess uh, you were mentioning someone was mentioning it to me before so only ran an aqueduct so that's maybe perhaps an issue but i do think he's taking to the track quite nicely so i dare say those two and like i said the philly it's just looking like a muscle. Look, I, I've had eyes on Fenwick. He's quite a nice-looking individual. You know, big blaze, kind of eye-catching horse. I do think that he's not really got the biggest chance here. But it's a great story, though. Kevin McCathan broke in yeah. American Pharaoh, real quiet, um, as well Silver Charm. So that – and this is his only runner in his name to date. Like, he pre-trains. And he's only had runners in great ones, a.k.a. just this one horse in the bluegrass and then in the Preakness. I think that's pretty cool. He's an interesting horse because they basically came out and said in the bluegrass they wanted the lead, and he got kind of slammed into the first turn. And they – I mean, I think there's a wild card. Like, he could just be on a hard send, which I think could help your – you know, your odds. I mean, I, I kind of agree with Pete. I think the horse that might actually get lost in the betting could be early voting a little bit. I think if Epicenter gets hammered, I think Secret Oath could come down. Um and even a horse like underneath, you know, we stand not this time at the farm. So obviously epicenter and simplification, it was like, you take rich strikeout, we would have run first and third in the Derby for the sire, which is just, um, you know, I, w I would have won so much money. I would have told Pete, I couldn't be on this podcast. had that happened. <laughs> um, but that's, that's neither here nor there. Um, yeah. I mean, I think like 
what I try to do is look for how can I create value, right? I think that's what we're all trying to do as horse players. And Naomi's saying, hey, I think that there's a way I'm just going to maybe they get a pay stool or whatever the Philly does it. I'm trying to do it with just hammering epicenter over top of, of creative minister and maybe simplification and just saying, Hey, maybe Fenwick does go. There is a little bit of pace. Those horses can kind of improve. Um, but I think that's really what makes these fun days or these big days so much fun. Is that right? On a regular Thursday at Belmont, it's very hard to create value in a race like this. And the Preakness, there's tons of ways to create value, just like in the Derby. You know, I've, uh, hindsight's 2020, but we're betting all this money. We're up in the syndicate. We're JK's put together pick six. We're alive to like Epicenter and four other horses. And I have to bet like 10 grand or we ended up betting 15 grand in the Derby. And we're all over it. Like if Rich Strikes nowhere, I mean, we hit everything. <laughs> we've got a $1,500 exacto. We've got a $48 try. We've got a $7 super, all this stuff. But when I looked and I was like, for three grand, I could have just keyed Zandon and Epicenter, who on the day ended up being my two strongest opinions, keying them with everything in a super for like $3,500 and I paid $350,000. And it's just a missed opportunity after the fact. I think that's what's important, too, is like critically assess, like, where did you go wrong? Like, really, when I looked at all the bets that Epicenter and Zandon were going to be the two horses that had to run well in order for our bets to cash. And they ran second, third, and we didn't cash. And we had a big, way big enough budget to make the right plays. So I think that's the challenge. And that's what makes this game so much fun is that, you know, you can sit back and, and really try to figure out what works for you. And, and it's, it's the mental aspect that makes it, you know, the, the horses are unbelievable. It's like this puzzle that you put together. And, you know, Jonathan says he's like, hey, I, you know, put 10 times more thought into the actual ticket structure than I do in handicapping the race. And I think the big days, you know, that's that's how you have, you know, that's why he's done as well as he has in all these major contests and everything else on the big days, because that's where you can get the most value. Philip, I'm going to interject because we are out of time. Um, Naomi, I know you have a very hard out, so we're going to let you actually go first. I'm going to ask Philip one more question and then we'll be slightly behind. But Naomi, thank you so much for your time and efforts, uh, not just this week, not just on this show, but all over. Folks can check out more from you, Talk Racing to Me, the Maryland Simulcast feed, and uh, on Twitter, at Naomi Tucker. Good stuff, Naomi. We'll talk soon. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, good luck, everyone. <laughs> Cheers. And, Philip, while I have you, I did just want to ask, you talked about uh, standing not this time at TaylorMade. I did want to give you a chance to just talk for a second about the other part of your business, the medallion partnership then we'll answer a question or two and we'll get the heck out of here but i did want to get that medallion question in here what makes the, the medallion partnership special yeah i think um you know we've talked about it before but we really what we really try to do is bring people to the highest level of the sport at a buy-in that you know is not just some unbelievable number you know it's when you buy in you get a piece of every horse we have so it's not a model where you're buying into one horse if that horse gets hurt then you're out um and really try to leverage that opportunity. Like, you know, we own a piece of Bella Sophia who just won her yearly debut last weekend. Um, you know, she ran a hundred buyers, she ran a four and three quarter rags. And she's at this point, the fastest filly in training um, in the sprint division. And so it's that, that kind of dream, right. To go to the ballerina at Saratoga to go, um, you know, to the breeders cup last year, we had four breeders cup starters, you know, this year we're taking a big group next month to Royal Ascot. Um, but to really leverage all of the tailor-made connections and the brand to create a partnership that is just going to be an unbelievable experience for everybody that's involved um, at, the, at and really at the highest level, that's the goal. So, um, you know, we're looking forward to a fun summer with, with a bunch of the horses and um, hopefully me and Pete can reconnect in, uh, in our top hats and uh, morning coats <laughs> here, here uh, next month. That's going to be a lot of fun. The main, lots of comments, um, people, people love Naomi and they especially love her ability to light herself properly, which apparently we don't share, Philip. So we'll do, we'll <laughs> yeah. have a little clinic um, before the next show so we can get that, uh, so we can get that sorted out. But the, unfortunately, the this question, bald head just shines light. It doesn't matter where you go. I, I it's, um, I'm follically challenged, so. <laughs> We'll get to that. Well, that's, you know, what do you think I wear the hat for? Yeah, um, that's right. There is a question, though, that I want to answer, because I think there's a bunch of fun ways to, to answer it regarding Epicenter and how you might get value on this horse. And I swear I'm not just saying this because it ties so well into 
uh, one of the sponsor messages. But he's a really interesting horse for a situation like the Preakness contest. Like you were just yeah, uh, yeah. sort of alluding to these big days and the money. You play in the Preakness Challenge, you have a horse that you can play stone cold at the end. Maybe you can bet all your money to win. Maybe you have to narrow it down to an exact, and maybe you're a little farther back and have to have a try with him straight on top. But when you have the chance to win that prize money in a contest, it, you're getting whatever the price is, you're getting extra value. And it's one of the reasons we love contests and, and, yeah. and encourage people to check them out. So that's one idea. I think the wind pool flat might be okay, just depending on what the storylines are, how the market develops. Again, I think this horse that should probably be, I mean, to my reckoning, three to five-ish, um, yeah. you know, if you can get even money on a horse, that should be three to five. That's incredible value. Don't know if it's going to happen, but it might, you could also put him on top in a try. You could single him stone cold in the horizontals. There's a few different ways. And on a day like this, where there's going to be a lot of money around, I, I think there's a real chance you can eke out some value on a horse like Epicenter, even though he will be the favorite in the Preakness. Do you have any other thoughts on how to get value on Epicenter yeah. and then we should get out of here? I mean, I think the best thing you can do now is just with with the format. You can see what the doubles are going to pay. You can see what exactas are going to pay. So for me, um, like we were in we were in third or fourth in the Derby handicapping contest going into the Turf Classic, and I had a really strong opinion on at Amo. So I didn't need to get that creative, right? We just bet like four grand on him to win. We had I think twelve, uh, ten or eleven grand at the time. I didn't, you know, he, even though he was two to one, I'm thinking, all right, if I bet my four grand to win, he wins. All right, well, I'm going to be in a great spot. I'm going to be in first going into the Derby. Now, I don't, I didn't, didn't even look at the results because we, we, he didn't win. And then we, you know, we went all in, um, you know, with Epicenter and some other type exactas to try to get up to the top. Um, but yeah, I think that's the great thing now is, you know, you can look and see what the doubles are paying. If you're in the lead and you're like, all right, maybe just betting him to win is enough to get you through. If you're further out, then you're going to have to stretch and look at exactas. But, you know, I can look. And if, if you told me right now um, that I could turn an epicenter over creative minister into like 16 to 1 or 12 to 1, which seems very reasonable, um, I'd probably sign up for that all day. You know, if, if talking about getting close to 20 to 1 on epicenter with a horse that I think might end up being the second best horse in the race. Now, I, I have – respect for early voting and and for secret oath it's i'm would just be against her just as a general play not to say she can't win um you know she certainly has a lot of talent but to me i think that's how i want to try to look at it is especially in the like i'll be in the contest so if you know if we get to a point where you know we're making i mean i could just be looking at all right i got i turned my thousand into into a thousand by the end and i'm just betting a thousand dollar exact to um, you know, epicenter over creative minister and just hoping I can get somewhere close to 20 to one. But I think that's a great thing now with will pay. I mean, probables, you can really look and try to figure out exactly yeah, where you see where the be. value is, at least in pools yeah. like the double and the exact where you see them. And then you can use a little bit of feel and a bet like the try. I mean, one interesting idea that Stephen Chris mentioned earlier in the week on the show, and we'll leave you with this was the idea of putting a horse like epicenter on top in the try trying to mix in a creative minister or a, he didn't specifically mention these horses, but this is just a yeah. strategy. Use a creative minister or a Skippy Longstocking and try to beat, in his case, he said, try to beat early voting and secret oath. But yeah. maybe you just try to beat one of them. And honestly, with those long shots in there, I think you can fill out the places. And you're not talking about an expensive ticket. So, I mean, you're talking about a trial, right. like, right, if you think early voting is going to be in the top three and you want to try to beat secret oath, you just key him in second and third with whoever else you like. And I mean, you're talking about a $5 try or a $10, depending on how you key it either way. And that gets giving you a ton of coverage. Yeah. Um, and you, you could go have that a bunch of times. Yeah. Uh, that we'll That's what's the most fun about the whole game for me is that question and the challenge that it presents. Cause when you're right, it's the best film in the world. And when you're wrong, hopefully it makes you better, but it also makes you stew, which can also as a gambler, uh, Bad law stories are fun too. Uh, oh no doubt. Even if you no, I mean, force yourself through. Great place. We love we love the racetrack. I look forward to being there. We'll be together at Ascot. That'll be a ton of fun. Might have to get you on to do some handicapping for those shows. You're going to do the form in and out for Ascot, or will you just? Uh, yeah, I got to be ready. Our, our guys are going. We'll we'll be firing. Um, you know, that's what I've told everybody. I'm like, we got to figure out. You need to get your ADW set up with a, you know, so you can bet over there because uh, some of our guys are are 
they like to throw it around and I don't <laughs> think they're going to want to, uh, you know, they'll want, they'll do some at, at through the, the betting shops, but I don't think they're going to want to have to exchange all their dollars into pounds and eat the conversion. Um, <laughs> we'll talk about that as we get closer, my friend. The big race on Saturday, the Preakness Stakes. Will Epicenter get the job done? We shall find out. Thank you, everybody. We had a very nice attendance in this web show. Appreciate everybody who tuned in. We'll thank Naomi. We'll thank JK. We'll thank Philip one more time. Our friends at Medallion Racing and TaylorMade, our founding partners, the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation, the great work they do helping horses and humans through their Second Chances program. We got a few bottles of whiskey left. If you donate, you can get a bottle of it, trfinc.org slash players. Ten Strike Racing, our other founding partner. I uh, got to hang with Marshall Graham, one of the founding partners from there. Today we went to the Orioles game, probably witnessed the high watermark of their season, coming back uh, twice to beat the Yankees uh, with a walk-off home run. Not good for the bet that I made pre, but I st you still had to applaud. It was an exciting uh, finish anyway over there at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. What else? We'll thank most of all, all of you, the listeners, the viewers on demand and live who make these shows so much fun to do. This show's been a production of In The Money Media. Uh, thanks to producer AJ for getting the job done here tonight. Always great to work with him. Our business manager is Drew Cotney. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin. I'm Peter Thomas Fornatel. May you win all your photos.